Welcome back to part two of the 45th episode of It Wasn't Me, a true crime podcast where we discuss murders that intrigue us. I am Cindy. And I'm Mercedes. Thank you for listening to last week's episode where we covered part one of the Mark Hopkinson murderous rampage. Our show is often horrifying and graphic and we will use offensive language. So if you have kids, put them away for a while and join us for a murder. Also, we are passionate and always have been about true crime, but we must warn you, sometimes we will make jokes and we will laugh during this podcast. Want to learn more about us? Visit our website at itwasn'tmetruecrime.com to find links to our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter pages. If you like what you hear and you'd like to help us out, please subscribe to our podcast on your favorite platform and leave us a five-star rating along with a comment. Also, please recommend our podcast to your friends. The more the merrier. Mercedes, what's up? Hey, Cindy, how's it going? Pretty good. How are you? Pretty good. I have a question for you. Okay. Um, what would you do if a man jumped on your back? Would you beat him off? Oh, <laughs> 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 uh, sorry. <laughs> I couldn't get all the way through. Yeah, my lovely son told me that joke today. He's like, Mom, what would you do if a man jumped on your back? Would you, I can't remember what he said. I tell jokes or I can't tell a damn joke. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I don't know. What would you do, Chaz? He's like, well, I don't think I'd beat him off. Oh, my <laughs> God. I would probably like, like bang his ass into a wall or something. Oh, God. You know, beat him okay. off. Yeah. Lord. Oh, yeah. Yeah. My son, by the way, is he'll be 21 on Monday. He is not in middle school. <laughs> oh, so gosh. how are you? How's your week been? Pretty good. Yeah. Tired. Oh, me too. That's like the theme with my life, though. I'm always tired. Well, and not only that, but the weather, I mean, I feel like is done nothing but rain. But mm-hmm. thankfully, we did not get any of that hurricane. I mean, just the outer bands of the hurricane. Well, we got the, the first parts the, of the of the first from Marco. Marcus. Or was it Marcus or Marco? Marco. Okay. Marco. And then Laura, of course. And, of course, my husband is in Lake Charles right now. Um He's in a disaster recovery, so yeah. Well, my seawall yeah. to my backyard snapped off because of Marco. Yeah. Uh, it was great. Marco. Marco. Thanks, Marco. <sighs> anyway, yeah. So also, I want to tell you that my um, laptop sounds like a jet plane. So now I'm using this little <laughs> Lenovo ThinkPad that you just heard in the background. So yeah, I uh, wanted to use that as a ninja star today, but I didn't. <laughs> I refrained. It does sound like it's the Enterprise yeah. trying to take off. So if any of you have any suggestions for why my laptop all of a sudden sounds like a jet plane that does not slow down, um, you know, hey, Send us an email on that. Also, don't forget about our 50th episode coming up and our giveaway. If you're interested in getting a little goodie bag from us, please give us a five-star rating and leave a comment. Send us a uh, snapshot of that. Screenshot. Thank you, that too. (laughs) Or just a picture. Take a picture of it. Take a picture of it. Send it to us. Tell us your shirt size and your your mailing address. I promise you we will not deliver it in person. 
and um, do that before, well, we'll say by the end of next week. We said September 6th, and I think we need to stick to that. So by September 6th, we do have a few people who've already um, done that. So, uh, you know, put your name in there. Let's put your name in that little random drawing. And, and you can actually in. give us a review on Facebook, too. Okay. We're, we're going to add that. All right. Yes. Yeah. So that's at a true crime podcast at gmail.com. So help some girls out. Please. Help us celebrate that 50th, and we're going to send you a goodie bag. Yay! Yeah. Do you want to recap for us? Yeah, so okay. last week you were telling us about Mark Hopkinson from, was it Wyoming? Yes. Yes, and he was wanting to build a trailer park, and it was water rights and all of this, mm-hmm. and he beat a pregnant woman and beat her, no, yeah, he yeah. was beating a pregnant woman and her dad. Yep. And he also arranged for the murder of an attorney, Vincent Vahar. Mm-hmm. And Vincent v- Vahar, his wife, and one of his sons perished in a bombing. Yes. And so you're there. Were, he hired three men. I can't remember the three men's names, so I'm sure you're going to tell us that today, right? Yes, we're going to get into it. There yes. was actually, yeah, he, he has three buddies that he kind of like... Mark Hopkinson did. Yes. yes. That okay. he hired or like somehow has influence over. One of them actually carried out all of this, but um, okay. but I'm okay. going to tell you. And we're actually going to follow up on what happens with the girl that one of the three murdered okay. earlier. Okay, right. Too. Because you did talk about that last mm-hmm. week, that one of them had been... Um, that they that, well, they didn't even know she was missing by the time the bombing. Right. right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I'm looking forward to learning the rest of the story but we were talking about the bombing last mm-hmm. last episode. And I can't remember if you said that the police realized that they did realize that it was an intentional bombing. It wasn't fairly a gas quickly. leak or something. Okay. Yeah. Fairly okay. quickly. All right. So, hey, we're jumping into this fairly quickly today. <laughs> yes. All right, let's go. <laughs> All right. Um, Mercedes, give us a recap on where we left off. So I'm just going to jump right on in and start off with saying I'm really not sure how or why Mark Hopkinson which I've just been referring to his, him as Mark at this point, um, thought that this bombing would make his legal problems go away. Right. Like, I mean... Because he was getting sued by... Like, like the water board, and then he was stalking all of those people, oh yeah, and right. then they hired he the was, Vincent Bihar okay. to be their attorney. And so, right. well, of course, so if there's a bombing, and they figure out fairly quickly that it wasn't the gas leak, who are they going to call? The ATF. Oh, I thought you were going to say Ghostbusters. <laughs> who are they going to call? Ghost. <laughs> No, so they call the ATF. Hello. That's what they do. Yeah, alcohol, tobacco, firearms. Okay. So the ATF was called into the investigation. federal. Oh, yeah. Okay. And I guess Mark didn't count on that happening. You know, for being so smart, how smart really was he? Yeah, right. Right. So investigators for the ATF quickly determined the blast was caused by a bomb and not the faulty gas lines. Duh. Of course, Mark was quickly linked to the bombing due to his legal battle with the attorney. Okay. He was the main suspect. Yeah, and we already know that he can get violent with people who go against who him. Who piss him off. Yes. So Mike Hickey was one of the three uh-huh. that he hired. Well, Mike Hickey is the actual person who went to the house and, like, set the bomb off. Okay. Who, the dynamite. It was dynamite. And so he got the hell out of Dodge and went to California. He was like, I'm out of here. See ya. Um, he was hoping to hide out until the drama calmed down. But Mark, uh, and while Mark was still confident that he would not be tied to the murders, maybe a little overconfident, he remained in Wyoming and was determined to prove his innocence. Like, you know, almost kind of a brazen, very arrogant. Well, and that's what we talked about last week with mm-hmm. um, psychopathy is that's one of their that's one of the traits of being a psychopath yes is you're smarter than everyone else and 
Yeah, you can get away with whatever. Right. Well, Mark's band of merry men started falling apart <laughs> fairly quickly. Okay. Um, uh, that was, you know, he. this wasn't a sophisticated criminal organization. No, but weren't they like kids almost? I mean, they were in their really they early 20s. They were fairly 20s. young, yeah. They were in their early 20s, right? And he is in his, is in his 40s Thir- or something. 30s, 40s, okay. yeah. So within weeks of the bombing, shit just started going wrong, okay? So James Heisel, who was... One of the three. So it's Mike Hickey, James Heisel, and Jeff Green. Okay. So James Heisel was arrested, but he was arrested on charges totally unrelated to the bombing. All right. However, in order to gain a legal advantage, he told police right away about the murder of the 15-year-old girl, Kelly. I don't know how to say her last name. I would pronounce it Wickhuis. Wickhuis? Wickhuis is how I would pronounce it. It's W-Y-C-K-H-U-Y-S-E. Wickhuis is how I would say it, but mm, who knows? I'm going to go with Wickhuis. Okay. James Heisel was arrested. He said, oh, but I know about this murder, this 15-year-old girl. And Mike Hickey actually murdered her. But I can take you to her body. All right. So this James Heisel was arrested for the bombing. No, no. uh, Charges unrelated to the bombing. It was like um, criminal mischief and like burglary or something like that. But it wasn't related to this bombing at all. all But he freaked out. He did say that. Sorry. Okay. (laughs) So he was like, he needed that extra, you know, legal advantage, I guess. So he said, I know where this girl was murdered by Mike Hickey. And I can take you to where she where she buried. Oh. So he was immediately arrested. They arrested Hickey when he returned to Wyoming and both were charged with murder. So why did Hickey come back to Wyoming? I get he just thought that it was like lied down, you know, he everything thought, was kind of cool and we're going to come off. on back. Yeah. Oh. So Mark stated, uh, I mean, started to worry that if Hickey went to trial, he would be more inclined to run his mouth to get out of trouble and would implicate Mark in the murder bombing of the Parr family. Uh-huh. So Mark went to visit Hickey in jail and promised that if Mark kept quiet, he would arrange, like, some perjury. So he, Mark, and Jeff Green would lie in court in order to pin everything on high sale. So he said, okay, since Hickey's the one who really did the bombing, and he killed the girl, too, they said, well, since high sale ran his mouth, we'll just say that he's really the one who killed the girl. And, and, then we're, and the family. Well, oh. The girl right now, they haven't said anything about the family yet because they don't know anything about that. I mean, they know about the bombing. They just aren't tying all this together yet. That that comes later. The police aren't. Right. And the ATF. Mm -hmm. So the scheme worked for the most part, and charges against Hickey were actually dropped after they perjured themselves. So for about a year, Mark and his accomplice were walking free. Police were absolutely clueless about the Vahar murders or who committed them. Okay. All right. So James Heisel would eventually make it to trial for this murder. Of the girl. Of the girl. Yeah. So Jeff Green, though, all of a sudden grew a conscience because he knew that his friend, because the Heisel was his friend, he knew that he would probably face the death penalty for the girl's murder. Okay. So he gave in and he began singing like a jaybird. Okay. So this was the beginning of the end for Mark Hopkinson. A jaybird? Uh, isn't that what it is? A jaybird? I don't know. A, I don't know. I'm Canary? You. I don't know. <laughs> All right. So, ooh, that's interesting. As the trial was set to begin July of 1978, Jeff Green told police that he... Hopkinson and Hickey all lied in their testimony to frame Hussell for the murder. He told the police that it was, in fact, Mike Hickey who murdered the girl. So while he was running his little guilty mouth, because he's just as guilty, 
I mean, they're all... Did all three of them kill the girl or only one mm-hmm. of them killed the girl? The one... Hickey killed the girl. Were the other two guys there? I don't think Jeff Green was, but the um, the high cell guy was. All right. So, but while he was running his mouth to the police, he also said that he knew who killed the Bahar family. Oh. So this is where it all comes. So he confesses that Mark approached him and Hickey, Hysel and Hickey, oh no, no, Green and Hickey, about killing the family by bombing them, but that Hickey was the actual bomber killer. So he approached both of us. Uh, Hickey is actually the one who did it. And Hysel, we just trying to frame him. So police wanted evidence to the story, but Green didn't have any of this evidence. However, he was able to also tell police that Mark had asked him to plant a bomb in someone else's car. Someone that owed high, or someone that owed Hopkinson's mo- Hopkinson money. They're all H's except for Green. I know. Hysel, Hickey, Hopkinson, and Green. Yes. Okay. So Mark had paid him or had tried to pay him to put a bomb in some attorneys. It, the guy was an attorney, but he owed him like $10,000. But Green had actually gotten arrested in Arizona with this bomb. Okay. That he was that he got arrested for carrying the bomb. That's all where I got this piece of information that it just said he was carrying the bomb and he got a, he got arrested for it. Huh. So Mark bailed Green out before he ever had a chance to like speak to police. Yeah, about it. Okay. to really talk to the police about it because he was like, oh shit, we gotta get you know get him out of there. And Hickey was arrested in charge of first degree murder. This was after the Bahar family's bombing, or was this before? I don't know that information. I do, right. where I got this, it did not state when he was actually arrested, and I didn't look it up. All right. So Hickey was arrested in charge of first degree murder of Kelly. How were you saying that? Wick. Wick highs. Wick highs. And Mark was arrested for ordering the murder of the debtor, who was the lawyer, George Mariscal. But thanks to the testimony of Jeff Green, Mark was convicted of conspiracy for attempt for the attempted bombing and sentenced to a maximum of 40 years in prison. Wow. Police were also preparing to charge Mark with ordering the murder of the Vahar family. Green was set to test was going to testify against him once again. As you imagine, this did not sit well with Mark Hopkinson. You know, and he's very vengeful and very if you do him wrong, yeah, he's, he's going to get, get you. Yeah. Right. He was sent to federal prison in Lompoc, California. Mark knew that he would probably face the death penalty if he was charged with those Vahar murders because that was that was a big, you know, that was bad. Yeah. So Mark was so furious that Green had testified against him and had betrayed him that he had just had decided that the only way to keep him silent was to kill Jeff Green. So we're we're going to order the murder of someone else. Yes. Now a lot of this information going forward about the description of the murder comes from a writer by the name of Suzuki Nathy. She has a like a, a blog page. Okay. So I got a lot of the very detailed information from her. Okay. Um, so I'm just going to read. And some of it you're actually quoting like word for word. Yes. yes. What okay. I'm about to say is word for her, word for word. Okay. From her blog. Okay. Okay. And she's like a crime writer. I looked her up and like she doesn't just just have this blog. She's a, a freelance writer. Oh, okay. All right. So on the morning of May 20th, 1979, a man stopped his car off a desolate road in Evanston, Wyoming to walk his dog. As he examined the area, the man came upon a horrifying sight. A nude, bloody, battered, mutilated corpse of a young man just lay off the road, face down in the dirt, dead from a single gunshot wound to the back of the head. In addition, his genitals had been mutilated by what appeared to be a hot poker. Ow. Yes. And he had been slashed across the chest and arms with a knife. Forensic examiners discovered well over 150 burn marks all over 
the young man's body, probably caused by a lit cigarette being pressed against the skin. The burn marks, which had seared through the skin and into the muscle below, had all been made hours before the young man died and had been intended to cause excruciating agony. Wow. Yes. This is why I wanted to keep her words because it was just so detailed and just descriptive too. So there were burn deep burns on the tender skin behind the man's ears along the bridge of his nose, burns all over his forehead, scalp, third degree burns on his skin of his elbows, likely caused by a soldering iron, yes, and burns to the knuckle joints and the webbing of hands. Jesus. This is fucking torture. Hey, what happened? The victim had also been blinded with a hot branding iron before he died. His left eye was completely burned out, and his right eye had suffered severe damage. Several rope burns around the man's wrist showed that he had been tied to a chair during the torture and desperately struggled for his life in those hours. The killers also left a message with the burns. There were the shape of a T for traitor. So on his body, obviously, they left a T. Oh, my She continues by saying this was no ordinary murder. This was a ritualistic, gruesome killing that had involved extensive torture. Whoever killed this man had wanted him to suffer greatly before he died, increasing the severity of the torture over a period of several hours. It had all the hallmarks of a mafia-style execution. Okay, but Hopkinson is in prison right now, in the federal pen in Mm -hmm. California, right? So he actually found somebody who would torture this person like that? Mm-hmm, and we're going to get into that. All right. Because it would seem like with that kind of torture, it's personal. But if you hire someone to do it, I mean. Right. Mm, wow. Yeah. Yeah. This seems like like it might have been him who actually yeah, did it. Because, but I mean, we know that's not the okay, case. Yeah. All right. So police would soon learn, soon learn that the dead man was Jeff Green. Oh, man. Conveniently, Ugh. Green was found two days before he was scheduled to testify before the grand jury about Mark Hopkinson's connection in the Bihar bombing and murders. Police had no choice. I say the police had no choice because I really think that there was absolutely zero doubt. Okay, this is too much of a, con- you know, a coincidence that this guy ends up dead two days before he's supposed to testify. Right. I mean, come on. So I, my words are, the police had no choice but to suspect that Mark had something to do with Green's murder. It was too much of a coincidence. But Mark was in prison. He couldn't have actually committed the murder, right? Not on his own. He could have ordered someone else to do it. Right. But isn't, now correct me if I'm wrong, isn't all communication monitored in prison? So what year is this? You said the 70s? 70s. Mm-hmm. So I know that it is now. I don't know that it may have been in the 70s. I have no idea. I just and assume. And you know, so. there's, uh, if it wasn't done over a phone and you're like in the yard with some other inmate. Okay. Well, I'm going to tell you. Oh, all right. Okay, so I, I posed the question in my little okay. notes here. How would he order a murder and not get flagged? Okay. So he obviously isn't writing it down because even then I think that they read yeah. stuff. So, again, the next bit of information comes from Suzuki. Police soon discovered that Mark had been making frequent phone calls in the weeks prior to Jeff Green's murder. Over a 51-day period from May or April to May in 1979, Mark had made 114 calls from prison, several of them to a gentleman by the name of Alvin Hap Russell, who was a roommate from Salt Lake City, Utah, like a former roommate. Okay. Russell visited, then visited Mark in prison. No one obviously knows what what they discussed because it wasn't like how it is today. Like you go visit someone in prison or at least in jail, you go visit them in jail and it's over, you know, a okay, TV. But, they, but so they don't even know the re- the phone calls? Like 
Did they didn't record phone calls. I think back he was then? just like saying, "Come see me." Didn't he wasn't saying anything. One hundred and fourteen calls from prison, mm-hmm. and it's several just, Come of them. See me? Okay. I mean, it didn't it didn't say. I mean, All I think right. the calls were still recorded then, but I think they knew that they couldn't put anything down or record right. anything. Okay, so they don't know exactly what they discussed. But Russell later claimed that Mark had talked to him about getting like some perjuring statements, pro procuring. Okay. <laughs> There's those p words again procuring perjured statements from witnesses for the upcoming trial. So he was trying to get people to lie for He him. was trying to get, find somebody that would tell, yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. mm-hmm. And they believe, because they don't know for 100% fact, that that's when Mark discussed the killing of Jeff Green. And they believe that he asked his former roommate to go out and carry out the job. Or if he knew somebody who would do the job. Shortly after that, Mark began calling a Jennifer Larchick, which was an old high school friend of Jeff Green. Hmm. And he was asking her for a picture of Jeff, like from a yearbook. And Lark, she thought it was kind of Larchick. Am I saying that right? Larchick? Larchick is how I would say it. Yeah. So she was kind of really puzzled. Like, why would this dude be calling me up asking for a yearbook picture of Jeff Green? I mean... To me, that's a red flag. Call me crazy. But she did refuse his request. Afterwards, that hap guy that that he had been calling from the jail and then went to go visit him, he showed up at her house and asked her to give him the yearbook photo. Hmm. And I guess that would kind of freak her out if some random dude just showed up to her house and asked for the picture, so she gave it to him. Okay. Can't wait to see what they're going to do with that picture. Yeah, I don't know. I think I would call the police if I was if someone... Well, we- I mean, yeah, it just seems rather odd, and I'm not even knowing where you're going to go with this yet. Yeah, okay. yeah. <laughs> this time, somewhere around, like, May of 79... Mark called one of his old girlfriends up, uh, Christy King, and asked her to hide some money for him. Okay. And she was puzzled as to why he would want her to do that, but she did it anyway. I I mean, I don't understand these people. If some ex-boyfriend of mine called me up and said, well, you hide some money for me, it would be like, uh... How about no? He wants her to put it in a bank account. For yeah, but he, him. but he wants her to hide some money away and in a bank her, account. Uh, use her account. Well, I'm thinking mm, some that's dude, my money. Some dude who's in prison <laughs> wants me to put some money in my account. I might say, hmm, okay. I don't know if he's in prison and everyone knows he's like freaking psychotic. Now that would definitely make me reconsider for sure. Yeah. Well, then came the most crazy ass part of the story. Okay. Just four days before Jeff Green's body was found, Mark called the lair chick lady again and asked her if she knew if he knew where if she knew where jeff green was and she said that she didn't but that he was probably out of state oh i'm gonna take a guess what they're gonna do with the picture what i'm gonna guess it's an early form of photoshop where they're gonna say oh we we saw him on a beach somewhere and Hawaii or something Maybe. like that. Okay. I don't know. We'll see. Uh, I mean, I do know, but. Okay. <laughs> so the next day he called her again. She said he's probably out of state. She, he called again and asked the same question. And she told him at that time he went to Iowa to attend a funeral and that he'd be home sometime the next day on May 18th. That same day that he was supposed to come home on May 18th, he disappeared and was last seen in the company of two people. And this is known to be the last time that he was seen alive. Okay. Then on May 21st of 1979, just one day after Jeff Bodies Green was found. Jeff Bodies Green. (laughs) Is that what I said? (laughs) Jeff Green's body was found. That girlfriend of Mark, who he asked to to save the money, Mm. 
she got there was fifteen thousand dollars put in her bank account. Okay, which is going to pay a hitman, possibly. Okay, Marx allegedly asked her to hold on to the money for a while. All right. Yeah. So the money had been sent to her from a Scott. Hopkinson, who was Mark's brother. Okay. Now, I haven't heard about Mark's brother yet. No. Is he a psycho, too? I don't really know. All right. Police now are like, okay, I think we know who killed him. They believe that Mark ordered the murder of Jeff from prison. Because they knew he, he obviously couldn't do it. And they used Christy King's bank account as a front to pay off the hitman carrying out the killing. All right. Well, he didn't try to hide that transaction. (laughs) No. Although the evidence against Mark was very circumstantial, it was incredibly damaging. Uh The timing of the murder, Green's portrayal of Mark, the money, the phone calls, the crazy picture. The yearbook photo. Uh Are you going to tell us about it later? Or can I take another guess of what I think it was for? You can guess. So at first I said maybe an early form of Photoshop, but what if the hitman used it so that he identified the right guy that he needed to kill? Mm-hmm. And a yearbook photo, what, how old was Jeff Green? Like 23? Yes, I'm not very So, old. I mean, I guess you wouldn't age that much. No, probably not. I mean, maybe more facial hair. Maybe. Maybe a little chunkier. Who knows? So police were convinced that they had what they needed. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So they, and they thought that this was just to save him from the Vahar murders. So they'd get rid of him because he was talking. So the one thing that they didn't have was the two murderers. To this day, or to that day, not to this day, but the, t- the hitmen who had carried out the actual kidnap and torturing of Jeff Green have never been found. Yeah. So, I mean, like, ever, ever. Like, to, like they still haven't been found? Yes. Yes, they have been they found? They have not no, been found. They, they don't know been. who, okay. like... Okay. So after the hearing about Jeff, the murder right, of Jeff Green. Those guys were pretty intense with their torture. Yeah, that was like, some, that, well, that, that wasn't their first rodeo. Well, we don't know how many were there. They didn't have the two murderers. So you said for sure it was two people? I mean, that's that's the information I received was okay. that it was two people. So we don't I received know. like someone gave it to me. Yeah, like, well, re- that's what I found on the internet. Okay. <laughs> you received the information. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so, so the police... Well, no, no, no. I know with the two, because the last, he was seen, the last time he was seen, he was with two men. Okay. So, they're just, it's an assumption that those were the two men who killed him. And those two men, like, tortured him ridiculously um, with a hot branding iron. So, my guess is they were possible ranchers. Like Yellowstone. I'm bringing Yellowstone up again. I'm just kidding. Okay. Not really. All right. They brand You just did. I just did. I just did. Jamie Dutton can die. Okay. Okay. (laughs) I love that show. It's so good. I, like I said, I've only seen maybe about five or ten minutes. Oh, it's so good. So anyway, after the, there was a hearing about the murder of Jeff Green, Mike Hickey immediately broke down and decided to talk to police. He was like, oh, okay, I can't do this anymore. Well, yeah, because first of all, if they can do this to my good friend, what What's can they gonna do happen to, to me? Yeah. So frightened that Hopkins would kill him, too. Oh. <laughs> he quickly confessed to the murder of Kelly and the bombing of the Bahar House. He told police he would testify against Mark in exchange for a lesser sentence. I'll do whatever it needs. Just Uh don't let me get Brandon in the eyeball. Okay. I mean. Please. Yeah. And I don't want a big T on my back. No. So with with all that evidence, prosecutors charged Mark with three counts of first-degree murder and one count of conspiracy for murder of the Vahar family. Prosecutors also charged Hopkins with the murder of Jeff Green. Okay. So Mark's criminal network is finally, cr- like, some of, like, her writing is great, but it is kind of, like, she talks talks about him, this Suzuki person. She talks about him being, like, this criminal mastermind and, like, running this, like, criminal mafia-like right. crime 
business. And yes. I and I I mean, yeah, he seemed pretty shitty and well, you know violent, but I didn't really I didn't wasn't it picturing of like this like big crime. He, network. he reminds me of again somebody who's very charismatic. You know, he was attractive and he was somebody like a people cult looked up like a cult leader who would he probably flashed money around. He's got these young guys that are, who are at his beck and call. Obviously, these are not top citizens that he's dealing with here. So you know it is kind of a crime. You know what kind of it's kind of reminiscent of a little bit. But uh-huh. I'm thinking Dustin Honk and the Iceman, the one that I did. I can't remember oh. which episode, but remember he was he was one of the first guys executed after. Yeah, like, in, I was thinking Tiger King. Tiger, oh the Tiger King, the Tiger King. How yes. he always had like those guys around. Yeah, that's what I was. Yeah, like. and it, it is. It could be like that, except for that just made me puke in my mouth a little bit. <laughs> Thank you very much. All right, go ahead. All right. So even though his little criminal empire was falling apart and, you know, he thought he was like the mafia head, I guess, there was still a very long fight ahead of him, the state, everything to try to get. It was. It would be a long time before right, justice would like, be served. Because he's like, oh, my, I don't have my hands on any of this. You can't mm-hmm. prove anything. Yeah. On or around, like, September 3rd, Mark finally went to trial. Somewhere in that area. Finally went to trial for the for her murders and the green murder. Despite circumstantial evidence <laughs> evidence against him, he still pled. Of course, he pled not guilty. I mean, because he's so, like, arrogant and just... Well, you know, he arranged all this. He didn't have fingerprints on any yeah. of it. So why would he... I mean, we already know he's not going to give up on any battle. No, he maintains his innocence uh-huh. until, like, right. the very bitter end, okay? okay? He apparently would have to face off against some, like, really world-famous lawyer by the name of Jerry Spence, whom I've never heard of. But apparently he was some high-powered lawyer that was going to prosecute him. So he's a federal prosecutor? A federal prosecutor? I guess if he's conspiracy and... I guess. I I, I don't know. It doesn't say, like, if he's a federal prosecutor. I just assume that that's a federal crime. I mean, mean, with the bombings and stuff, that's, like, federal, I would think. Apparently he's never lost a case. Oh. Yeah. Mm. And this case was really personal to him because he had actually known the Vahar family and Vahar was one of that lawyer was one of his really good friends so he was super pissed off and he intended to throw Mark under the jail he probably would have killed him himself if he if they would have been allowed to and he kind of is the one who sets the whole he wanted to be a yucca a crime boss so that's his that's his angle so that he's trying to so that he would get him to the death penalty is portraying Hawkinson as being a crime boss like he wanted to be this wannabe crime boss okay and and, there, and so he's trying to make sure that he gets what Wyoming had at that time for the death penalty was the gas chamber. And he wanted Mark Hopkinson to get get to be in the gas chamber. He wanted that. That's the death he wanted for him. However, Hopkinson was like a force to be reckoned with in his own right. You know, he wasn't going down easy. He was super evil. And Spence even calls him at the epitome of evil and that he was the most disturbing man that he had ever prosecuted. I mean, and you know, lawyers come across like some really... Mm-hmm. bad people so i mean like like if that's the worst thing he came across then it must Some have of been them like do. Yeah. yeah yeah i mean it, mm-hmm. it sounds like he must have been really bad and here's another quote from suzuki says um that hopkinson a pathological liar committed perjury numerous of times during the trial and showed utter contempt and disregard for the court he also showed a vicious hatred of jerry spence calling him a lying piece of shit a charlatan and referring to his case as manufactured bullshit 
Yeah. Of course he says that. Of course he does. Yeah. And he believes his own fantasy. Yeah. 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 And he goes on to say that Mike Hickey was a liar and that he was trying to frame him to save his own ass. Hopkinson also states that unless the prosecution could find the actual killers of Jeff Green, there's no way that there would ever be any evidence that he murdered his best friend. Oh, now it's his best friend. Yeah. So. Oh, wait. Murdered. His best friend. Jeff Green. The, Jeff Green is his best friend now, huh? Yeah. Well, Jeff had okay. always considered Mark his best okay. friend. Okay. And he always just kind of like, he was yeah. his do boy. Yeah. So now he's saying, no, he was my best friend. I would never murder right. my best friend. Okay. The prosecution had over 25 witnesses, so many like hundreds of pieces of evidence all against Mark. Among these pieces of evidence was that yearbook. Okay. That the picture of Jeff Green was cut out of. Uh-huh. Jerry Spence told the jury that the evidence against Hopkins was in fact circumstantial, but all they had to do was follow the money, put the pieces together, and they would all be able to see that Mark Hopkinson had ordered the killings. Right. Like you said, the cutout was to make sure that they had the right guy. They had the right guy. Okay. All right. Um, once the prosecution rested their case, Hopkins Hopkinson's defense chose not to offer any defense. Well, because there's still reasonable doubt is what mm-hmm. they probably believe. Yep. Right? He's stating that the the state had proved anything. Why do I have to? Why do I have to defend myself? Mm-hmm. You because didn't. the state didn't prove that I'm guilty. Right. You know. However, the jury didn't feel this way. Will, that will also open the door later for appeals if he is found guilty. Mm-hmm. If they don't offer a defense. Mm-hmm. I didn't get an opportunity to defend myself. Okay. Blah blah blah. And there's lots of those. Okay. So on September 25th, 1979, the jury deliberated for about seven hours and they convicted Mark Hopkinson of two counts of conspiracy and on all four counts of murder. Oh, wow. He said nothing as each um, guilty verdict was read. He just looked at the floor, stone-faced in silence. Oh, God, no, he's already plotting revenge against this prosecutor. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. So the next day, the jury would have to deliberate whether he got life in prison, death in the gas chamber. Charged with four counts of first-degree murder, he could get the death penalty on each count. Okay. So, I mean, four death i mean you can only kill somebody one well, time yeah but i guess you know it just so at this time he did respond i plead not guilty maintaining his innocence whether or not you give me the death sentence that's where i stand so he's like whether yeah, you give it to I'm me not or not taking, i'm not even sorry for anything i'm just not guilty mm-hmm. yeah yeah um jerry spence did once again show like pictures of the mutilated body of jeff green and i think that that is also that's like overkill Mm -hmm. and they could come back and appeal on that he um described in detail over again what happened to jeff green and then one of the other attorneys got up and you know stated stated that one of the um, prosecuting attorneys because you always have a team that rehabilitation just wasn't really effective and that it just wasn't there's no way that he would ever be rehabilitated, so you might as well just go ahead and gas his ass. Pretty much is what they were saying. Right. And he also said that, and I quote, if this case is not a proper case for the death penalty, then there are no proper cases for the death penalty anywhere in the world. Wow. Yeah. On September 27th, 1979, after deliberating an additional nine hours, the jury, re- the jury, the jury reached a verdict. The verdicts for Vincent Vahar, Beverly Vahar, and John Vahar, Mark Hopkinson was sentenced to life without parole. Okay. However, for the murder of Jeff Green, he was sentenced to the Wyoming's death chamber. So why, why not for the Vahar? I mean, that was just as horrific, if not worse, because there were children involved. I don't really know why they did that. I mean, I would think that murder, I mean, both murder, maybe because of the torture and stuff, but I mean, All right. I don't really know how 
Yeah, that I mean, to me, that it would be backwards, but... Mm-hmm. Okay. Me too. All right. So after dismissing the jury, the judge set Hopkinson's uh, execution date for October 27, 1979. However, you know that ain't happening. Yeah, no, because, you know, you've got your appeals and all that. Right. I do want to let you know that that Hap Russell guy, who was his old roommate, he was later convicted in for his role in the ordering of Green's murder. Because, you know, he's the one who went to the house and got the picture and all of that. They don't believe that he carried out the murders himself, but he was sentenced to life in prison and he died of a heart attack waiting retrial. Hmm. So he's dead. Mike Hickey, who can confessed to carrying out the Bahar murders and the murder of the 15-year-old Kelly was spared the death penalty and life in prison. He received a 20-year sentence and was released in 1999. Okay. I'm hoping he's not one of those guys that has gone out and raped and killed again. No. He lives under an assumed name in a small ranch town. So, all right. In Wyoming. Mm -hmm. As predicted... Hopkinson wasn't executed on October 27th. There was an automatic stay, which because of being able to file for appeals, he cited several things. There were a, there was a second trial. There were endless appeals. I mean, there was everything because his his first conviction did get overturned. Why? He got another trial. There's something to do with the prosecutor. Like you already said, you don't mess with this guy. Like he's going to get his revenge. Evidence to show that while even in, on death row, he is attempting to order the murder of Jerry Spence. He's still trying to kill Fred Frank Royds and other people he deemed a threat. Like he's still trying to kill kill people. Yeah, you don't cross. You do not cross his path. He uh, and piss him off. Yeah, he is fucking psychotic. Yeah. Period. And he even mailed dozens of like threatening letters to this attorney and threatening to have him and his wife skinned alive. Um, what the Spence? Okay, the prosecuting attorney. He is sending him letters. And threatening to have the lawyer and his wife skinned alive. Okay, good. Good for him because that's <laughs> great. That's great for this attorney, right? Yeah. Um, it was also further revealed that he had offered a fellow prisoner who was about to get out of jail money to like less than $1,000 to go burn down Frank Royce's house. Oh. I mean, he is. Did he want the family in there? Probably. The entire. Yeah. To kill the entire family. Oh, man. But. When the prisoner, he was haunted by guilty conscience and decided to tell the police. Well, that's good. So his appeal was heard by the Wyoming. So he he took it to the police. Did he, did Hopkinson get any charges from that? I don't know. Oh, okay. It just said it was thwarted. So Hopkinson did get an appeal that was heard by the Wyoming Wyoming Supreme Court. In an unprecedented decision, the court ruled that Hopkins' defense team had inadequately supported him by not stepping in to offer their arguments during a penalty phase. So he did get... The death sentence overturned in the Green murder and remained and remanded the case back for new sentencing. This time, Hopkins' attorneys presented their own arguments, blah, 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 blah. But guess what? But he could still have gotten the death penalty in the resentencing phase, right? Yes. Okay. And he did. Oh, he did get the death penalty. Yeah. Oh, good. In his new trial. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yep. So on uh, May 27, 1982, after 12 hours of deliberation. So they deliberated for about four and a half more hours. That's good. Yep. And they sentenced him to death again. However, at this time, there was a problem. Of course. There's always a problem. The jail there that had, like, the gas chamber mm-hmm. was the only one in the entire state, and All it right. closed. Okay. So there was no way for the state to carry out his execution. And the new jail didn't have an execution chamber. So because of this, he avoided his that next execution date, which would have been later that year. So he's really kind of like... yeah. 
you know, squeaking by here. Right. However, in 1983, Wyoming State Legislature approved the use of lethal injection, and a third date was set for June 18th, 1984. All right. But was stayed due to allow Hopkins further appeals. Right. Two more execution dates that were set that year, and he was able to avoid those. Hmm. By this time, the public, the people in Wyoming, they were like, this is bullshit. Yeah. This is bullshit. You're costing us money and you're, this is, let's just take them out and do it old. Let's do it old west style and hang them from a tree. Yeah. Gary Spence was like, listen. And, you know, the guy who had prosecuted him. They didn't hang them from trees. They actually had those gallows, didn't they? Back in the old Mm -hmm. west. Gary Spence was like, either execute him or freaking commute a sentence. Either give him death or, you know, save us on these appeals and these costs. And like you were just saying, right. he's like, so, I mean, g- get over it. So between 86 and 90, he had four or five more execution dates set for him, but successfully avoided them all. But this is not anything new. No. I mean, well, usually they're, once they set a date, there's right. not like, I mean, he's had like six dates. Like that doesn't normally happen. There's like a stay and then... If there is a stay and then it's, you know, they get a new trial or whatever, but never like this going back and forth. I mean, failed execution dates, attempts at new trials. His final request came for a new trial and final request and it was denied. So at this point, he would receive a final execution date. All right. And he actually was to die January 22nd, 1992. 78 is when he Mm -hmm. started this mess, like Mm -hmm. with the murders and stuff. 1992. And it would be Wyoming's first execution since 1965 and would be the state's first lethal injection. Okay. So in early January 1992, he appeared at a press conference because, of course, he did, talking about his, you know, how yeah. his charming and charismatic ways that how he spent most of the time showering himself in self-pity, like, oh, poor me, poor me, the lawyer, he's just a fabricating liar, whatever, dude. Wow. It's just bullshit. So despite all of this, he's still going to die. And he had one last hope for the governor to commute his sentence and get this bullshit. Amnesty International... Okay. Was backing him. Because they submitted a submission, a petition to the governor of Wyoming, saying that the death penalty was immoral, inhumane, and archaic. Well, there because that group does not believe in the death penalty for anyone. They were urging the governor to grant mercy to a psychotic person. Yeah, well, he deserved to die. There are a lot of people that don't believe in the death penalty. I know. I know. And that's. I think for certain, how did get- I think for certain people it's necessary. Yeah. But I'm not a proponent of death penalties normally. But how would he get like Amnesty International behind him? I mean, there's lots of people who are in jail for death. I oh, mean, I mean, I didn't see Amnesty. I don't know. Well, I mean, he's good looking. He's a business person. He probably has a lot of people who know him that are, uh, you know, that know his family that would write letters on his behalf. And yeah, they said that like they received letters from all over the world telling them, you know, that they need to let him right. just rot in prison. But the governor was like, yeah, no, no, okay, not good. happening. All right. So on the afternoon of January 21st, 1992, he was moved to a unknown location within the Wyoming State Penitentiary, and he would be put to death. However, according to Suzuki, unlike most death row inmates who are usually somber and silent prior to their execution, Mark was energetic restless and chatty when the guards asked him if they could get him anything he's he jokingly said yeah can you get me a blonde with a helicopter mm. or blonde in a helicopter at 2 30 p.m he was met with four clergymen who prayed to, with him at 3 30 he ordered his last meal which was pizza and a fruit plate 
and shared the meal with members of his family. After meeting with his family, Hopkinson decided to set some more personal matters into place. He asked the prison officials to ensure that his body was cremated after death and requested that his ashes be scattered on Jerry Spence's driveway. Oh my God, can you do that? I doubt it. I mean, right. you can you can ask. Yeah, so so Jerry Spence can stomp all over your ashes. Right, vacuum them up with his vacuum yeah. cleaner, and I mean, uh. so outside the prison, there was a hu- a crowd of anti deather death penalty protesters from Amnesty International holding wooden crosses and singing Christian hymns. They were met with a bunch of death penalty supporters, which this happened, I remember like when Ted Bundy was executed, there was, I don't know about in this town, but like they always do that when it's still dark outside, Mm -hmm. like early in the morning Mm -hmm. or in the middle of the night. And I remember because we lived not far from Stark and like the news, there was people out there protesting for like days Mm -hmm. up to this day. Yeah, I think I'm pretty sure that they do that for almost every death uh, every execution they've got but probably really for the big ones because you yeah. know there's people that like were just like in love with ted bundy right. and just you know weird stuff like that wow okay um at 9 30 p.m mark played checkers and at 10 30 he played a game of pool with a warden like really you get to do this i mean i don't know so at 12 10 a.m on january 22nd he left his holding cell for the last time he walked with a warden he remarked, hey, I'm sorry, I put you through this to one of the guards. I guess maybe maybe it was a new guard and he'd never yeah. done it before. You know, now you're going to have this on your guilty conscience forever that you killed me, this smart, charismatic man. Yeah, mm. whatever. As he lay on the gurney once they brought him in and they strapped him down and got him prepared for lethal injection, he looked up at the warden and started speaking very rapidly which i think he's probably really nervous i would be really nervous i don't know even if i knew i was about to die i'm nervous when i i think i would ask for xanax as part of my last meal (laughs) right yeah yeah (laughs) can i get four xanax please (laughs) and he started saying you know spence should be on this gurney instead of me so he's still going after this attorney who prosecuted him yeah spence once said i could kill him from the grave so you know he's going to have something to worry about you've got the wrong guy oh my god Okay, so as they were putting the IVs in his arms, he's declaring they've killed an innocent man. And although Mark had selected several witnesses for his execution, you can select people for your executions. I guess, yeah, you have to like sign who you want there, who you don't want there, I guess on your side of the family. Because I know like the people, the family of the people who maybe you murdered, they're allowed to be there. Um, He changed his mind at the last minute though. So there were no official witnesses present present when he was put to death. Hopkinson had, however, written a final statement that he wanted to be read to the witnesses. Jerry Spence is a lying, manipulative piece of shit, (laughs) read the statement. I feel sorry for the Fahar family, but you got the wrong man. Well, and that's the first time that he's shown any kind of, or at least said the word sorry that I know of. Yeah. Wow. So just before he died, he managed to crack another joke. You know, Warden, we need a faster way to do this. I think I'd rather be shot. That's it. Let someone shoot me. Funny. Ha ha. Yeah. I know. He says he also um, looked up at the Warden who was standing over him. You tell the press what my last words were, said Mark. The Warden's eyes filled with tears. Hey, don't get weak on me, Warden. I'm holding up here. I'm holding. I'm holding up good here. If you start, I will know said Mark. You let the whole damn world and all the news people know that Mark Hopkinson was strong and tight to the last. Well, I don't feel like you should be reading this because he's an asshole. Yeah. You know what? You're right. It's kind of like he's trying to make himself be the hero of his own story. Yeah, like he's a martyr. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So you know what? Yeah. He was sedated 
at 1235, they administered the first drug and then he was, and then, you know, then they administer more uh-huh. and then he was sedated. And at, uh, finally at 1244, he was dead. Good. Actually, that's when they administered the third drug. All and right. then he was officially pronounced dead at 1257 a.m. I, I hate that I'm saying good. I'm glad they killed him. I, I really hate that because I'm not a big fan of the death penalty. Right. Except for certain cases. Well, and I hate think he, this guy was a special kind this, of evil. This kind of person is not going to stop killing. No. He's no, the type, he is a predator and he's the type of person that it, if somebody looked at him wrong, he would probably take it personally and want them killed well and i'm surprised he didn't like kill people in jail like while or he have was people waiting. killed oh, yeah. yeah well who and knows he might if have. He did. who knows if yeah. he did or didn't i mean he could be his own little crime boss in the prison well i mean he obviously had the warden up his ass right that a warden yeah so that's see that i mean that's what's so scary about right. that is like that's how evil well like and but, manipulative it charismatic that was his whatever. whole life he yeah. had people in power look at him like that That's so when he had people who didn't he didn't like it no. like Gar- jerry spence or bahar or, yeah anyone yeah uh-uh. so he remains to be the last person executed in state in the state wow of wyoming are you kidding they've never had another uh, execution after january 22nd 1992 he was the last one wow yeah so that's it oh wow god cindy thank you that was a good one Another good one. It was long. I'm sorry. And I really, I appreciate. It gave me another week (laughs) off. Thank you very much. Well, and a lot of, like I said, I got a lot of that work. I got a lot of that information from that Suzuki Mm Nathy person. Yeah. And I don't know where she was able to get all her information, but more power to you. Well, I would love it if she'd tell us. (laughs) She's a professional journalist, so she probably has access to, you know, Freedom of information. I mean, we, I know we all have access to that, but like certain people, the press can get it more quickly and they right. know how to file that paperwork quickly and they can get interviews with all the big guys. And yeah. Here with our little budget, we just stick to what we can find on the internet. Yeah, I'm just right? retelling her story. Yeah. Essentially, so, that's, yeah. you know, I retold her research and, yeah. you know. Well, that was super interesting. Put our own little silly I can't remember how we found that one, but yeah, it was definitely an interesting. Yeah, that know, one was pretty. Yeah. He, he was pretty bad. Yes, he was. Well, thank you so much, everyone, for listening to this week's murder. We appreciate sharing our passion with you. We thank you for your support. And if you'd like to support us even further, please consider subscribing to the podcast. Also, remember, give us that five-star rating and leave a comment. Send us that screenshot with your shirt size and your mailing address to a true crime podcast at gmail.com. Your subscription and ratings are essential to our success, and you can do this on your favorite platform. For more information and links to our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter pages, visit our website at itwasn'tmetruecrime.com. We are so grateful to spend our time together and share our murder stories. Thank you so much for your support. Please recommend It Wasn't Me to your true crime loving friends and family. Also, thank you to our Patreon supporters. You are the extra. You too can become one of our beloved patrons by signing up at patreon.com forward slash it wasn't me pod. Thanks again, guys. And remember, it it wasn't wasn't me. me.